Good morning, betting nation. It's hammer time. You are now tuned into the second episode of 90 Degrees, the right sports betting angles. I'm the host, Kevin Davis. I write for thegameday.com. I'm also on Twitter at Boogie Down Picks, like Boogie Down Productions, only picks at the end. Can't forget BDP. Today's guest is Brock Landers 41. He's also on Twitter at, you guessed it, Brock Landers 41. He is a sharp sports better who is close to being a pro. He has another job uh, and he knows a lot of other sh- sh- uh, sharp sports betters and he lives here in New Jersey. I met him at the first Bet Bash and he is one of your favorite Twitter handicappers follows or Twitter uh, professional sports betters. They all follow him. They appreciate his stuff. And to break the ice, I'm going to ask, what is the origin of the name Brock Landers and why is it an alias rather than your own name. Well, first of all, thanks, Kevin, for uh, for having me on your show. I mean, pretty awesome. You got your own show here on, uh, you know, this this new platform that you guys are on, and uh, very exciting to see like uh, you know someone knowledgeable as yourself to to have your own show. Um, so, and kudos, second guest. That's pretty pretty cool. I feel. Honored. And you were one of my first followers back in the day. I shouldn't say back in the day because it's only 2020 since I got into the sports betting content space. Mm-hmm. It was back during COVID when the only thing on was Asian baseball. Yeah, good old uh, KBO. People losing their minds and money and esports. What a, I hope we never have to experience anything like that again. Well, mainly for the uh, pandemic part. I love the Asian baseball. I love the <laughs> I plus four and a half minus one seventy run lines. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say some people are still into it. It's funny too seeing it on the the Dom Best screen. Sometimes it's like, man, someone's still betting that stuff. Uh, but yeah, just to circle back to your original question, um, pretty self explanatory uh, story. I mean, I had a, a Twitter in height in uh, no, actually, that would probably be senior year of college. I want to say uh, is when I got on Twitter, and I want to say that was probably like 2010. I think I had a BlackBerry still, and uh, yeah, I had a, a Twitter, not too many followers, and uh, I kind of stumbled upon you know gambling Twitter, I guess at that time, and uh, I had my real name and everything on there, and kind of had a you know not much of a following, I would say the the first like year or two. And then um, got to a point where I got out of college and uh, actually, you know, was kind of seeking a, a real job that had a, a pretty rigorous background check. And it was, you know, list all your social media accounts, list all your emails, list everything. And I was like, man, I don't really want to get rid of this Twitter. So at the time, me and uh, one of my good friends, his name also Kevin, were obsessed with the movie Boogie Nights with Mark Wahlberg. And we just spent so much time talking about how great of a film that is and, you know, just the ups and the downs and the moments and the scenes. And uh, we both just got such a kick out of his alter alias Brock Landers in uh, Angels Live in My Town parody. So it's always been an inside joke. So for a while, I said, you know what? I really don't want to get rid of it. I'm just going to make my name Brock Landers. And then uh, from that, you know, went through that whole background check. They never asked anything about it. And uh, it kind of just stuck. But then the unfortunate part was apparently there was a real Brock Landers in the gambling space already that existed. And that kind of got a little bit confusing because some people thought that I was him and I wasn't him, and apparently he did some shady stuff, I guess, back in the day, taking people's money and not paying them and stuff like that. So I was like, I got to try to clear my name of this stigma, but then it was kind of gaining steam where people were starting to follow me and, you know, I guess liked tweets that I had and stuff. So I said, I'll just put a 41 after it. That's, you know, like my favorite number and whatnot. So that happened, and, uh, 
you know, the kind of the rest is history. Looking back, I kind of wish it was never that, but it was just one of those things at the time that that's that's where it sprung from. I mean, that certainly is a great story for a name. Uh, I remember, I think it was the first one and a half year of following you. I thought Brock Landers was your name. Um, <laughs> I thought like I straightened my Twitter, Kevin Davis photo of me in a suit. I was in hiding. Um, obviously, it's a bit different uh, because before I shifted over into the sports betting industry, I was working a government job for the city of New York. Uh, that oh, was wow. nearly impossible to get fired from because uh, mm -hmm. I passed my one year probation. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the only people that got fired from my old job committed felonies. And that's oh, how wow. they got fired. Um, <laughs> but that's another story. All right. So. You know, I can't really relate to having to change your name because of background checks. Because um, my sports betting social media following is a plus for what I apply for. And I'm active in uh, local politics in Hoboken. And oh, okay. I just don't try and conceal who I am. I don't care. I work in sports betting. Um, it's whatever. I mean, one of the elected officials who beats with me is in pharmaceutical sales. So what, is she going to criticize me for my job when she's a drug dealer? I don't think so. <laughs> All right. But obviously... <laughs> When you got involved in sports betting, it wasn't legal yet. I mean, it right. was legal to make bets. It wasn't legal to take them. So it had somewhat of a stigma on it. Uh, but one reason that makes you an intriguing guest is you were living here in New Jersey at the time it was legalized. So you had access to all the books as they're opening. And what was the weakest aspect of any of these sports books that you were able to hit right away that doesn't exist anymore? Uh, well, the score left town. That was probably the first one that I kind of gained a lot of money from. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was still not really, you know, easy to find, I would say, on screen, if that makes sense. And now, you know, I do see that they have, uh, you know, pretty much almost everybody is on screen right now with, with odds and stuff. But back then it was like it was, you know, a lot easier to try to pick off some some stale, easy stuff that was just out there. Um, obviously too, I mean, the deposit bonuses are definitely not what they were when they first opened. Those were pretty much free money for a long time, but those are kind of drying up as we get, you know, into this, what are we, year three already, right? Four, somewhere around there. Um, year four, so, yeah, 2018 was that glorious day. <laughs> yeah. Hard to believe it's uh, been four so years. I'd be already. sitting in my government office, counting down the hours. And then I would walk to the path train, head to Hoboken. That go back up. <laughs> nice yeah no that's that's great and you moved out from new york right yeah so it was yeah, an easy decision uh, my yeah, girlfriend absolutely. and i need to find a place i'm like why not new jersey she's from new jersey so that was an easy sell and there you go yeah and you know what the other thing is too uh kevin i think uh just to get back to that question um i think when it was so new you had a lot of people that were out there especially in the sharp community who were just trying to basically you know it was legal. So it was, let's see how much they'll take. And let me just try to, you know, jab as much as I can. And in terms, looking back at it, that probably was not the best idea, which I get. Everybody's trying to get down what they need to get down. But I mean, you look back at it and some people have placed bets in DraftKings the first month they're open and they still can't get more than $12 down. Whereas me, I went with the other approach of it. I was like, let's just wait and see what happens here before you try to start, you know, jabbing people with, with, uh, you know, the, the action that you're trying to play. So that's another thing so far. My accounts have been not, you know, I, I kind of play low and like, I'd rather try to get my action on five, six different, you know, apps or, you know, get down where I can to try to keep longevity. It wasn't like I was just going in there and let me try to bet a dime or a nickel on this and wait till I get cut off, you know? Now, like what happens if there's one book that is completely off on, let's say a first half bet than all the others? Are you going to spread it out from the books? Or are you just going to 
late on that one book that's laying uh, minus two and a half on the first half when everybody else is three. Well, that, that, that's the thing too. I mean, when I started out, it was build your bankroll. So it was exploit that. If that's a bad number, go and take it. I don't care. You know, it's, it's, you're trying to get more money into your bankroll so that you can, you know, build it and bet. And, you know, like I said, for that first, you know, year and a half, whatever it was, uh, I want to say between MGM, the score and maybe resorts, I want to say, like I was able definitely to definitely resorts for baseball, yeah. I'm assuming because they yeah, had the off screen uh, openers for the next day, three hours before everyone else. And then they decided to go to Soli Casino because it was yeah. like 10 cent baseball openers overnights at 12 p.m. the day before. And like nobody else would post anything until like three hours later. And it wasn't on any screens. And then, you know, it slowly went away when DraftKings merged with SB Tech because DraftKings started putting up the openers, but with the 20 cent line. And then as soon as you know it, that edge is gone. So I remember also resorts because they called themselves resorts casino. So I'm sure they weren't getting much sports book action anyway. And they also had a loss rebate too. Yeah, uh, resorts. And although their app was garbage and even their desktop design was not very good, there were some stuff that you could just get down on with no spinning wheel, no questions asked. And yeah, it was one of those things. It was sad to kind of see them go, but also, I mean, there's so much else that's out there. So it wasn't really too much of a, of a loss, I feel like at this point. Yeah, definitely. Now with the old days of BetMGM, it wasn't always this like, shiny marketing thing where you had jamie fox mm -hmm. and like the app now it's easy to find everything but the app when it first started like it was just filled with bugs and it was hard to find what you're looking for especially props did you mm -hmm. find like any type of edges on BetMGM now that have dried up since they've kind of invested more money in that company i definitely think when i first started there i noticed just and this was even before i really had a premium don best account or anything like that it was just how slow they were to moving stuff like there was literally times where, you know, a game would be a full point, point and a half off. I remember sometimes on like NBA totals and it would take a good 10 minutes till they probably caught up with it. So like they were just very slow and lagging, at least the early days where I noticed that everything kind of got much different with BetMGM post pandemic. I don't know if something, you know, they just decided, hey, we're paying out all these people that are, you know, killing us on these lines. We've got to just limit everybody now. But it was like once sports started back up, that's when I noticed that things were cut. I mean, they would they would cut you on some stuff like, you know, if I was trying to bet like a crazy obscure basketball game, like, a, you know, on a Sunday morning, like, a, you know, Fordham or something like that, they would try to limit you to like 150, 200 bucks or something like that. And then that eventually went to like 99. But for the most part, it was just pretty much slow moving stuff. I mean, and sometimes two futures. I remember... I want to say it was going into the pandemic year, I guess. Yeah, getting ready for like 2020 baseball. Uh, I put in a bunch of stuff there that numbers were just, you know, like somebody like a cinder guard was like 25 to one. And then really he was like 10 to one somewhere else or something like that. So there was definitely futures that were off. And I think just, you know, they got to a point where they were profiling at that point, I guess, eventually they said, you know, all the stuff, this guy has all this stuff in here that's way off, you know? Yeah, I mean, the bet MGM the old school version, I, I call it old school, pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. they would have the player props, but it wouldn't be like one column where you would search by like category or player. It would just be scattered. So like each game would have like 80 things and you have to scroll down. And that must've been impossible for the scrapers to pick up. And you could occasionally yeah. find like a three-pointer one where you get an extra three-pointer and the under is only like 20 cents more. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even like a math person at that point. 
that can like quantify what that meant, but I can know, wow, getting an extra three pointer for that little, such a big deal. Um, the other thing that happened with MGM is, is during the pandemic where they got a bunch of marketing money. So they got a bunch of money to put into bonuses. Cause you probably remember those reload bonuses they had yep. uh, like a hundred percent, uh, up to $300, six time rollover. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they kind of like, they'll, only do like a reload bonus, like 50%. Still with six times rollover, but it's only yeah. like during NFL first week and Super Bowl. Yeah, they, they know when to roll those things out when everybody's dying to, to bet on stuff, not in the middle of a baseball season or something. So, I mean, they like pump up the marketing budget and then they probably have investors to answer to say, all right, we're losing all this money on marketing now, but we kicked out a bunch of sharps. We'll never know the true story, but that's what my guess is what happened. Yeah, I was going to say, it, definitely night and day difference though from what they were in when they first opened to when you know where we are now so now for those who don't know don best is a odd screen where you can see every single sports book in the world including uh pph that's pay per head that's what bookies use for determining lines regulated books las vegas books i don't know what else you do because you pay for it but the fee is rather steep for don best and bet stamp for example is free it doesn't update all the time but it's pretty damn good and spank odds is now out there that won't be free forever. Um, and of course, you can learn how to scrape. I know from my sports betting, I've learned how to scrape data for getting player statistics, um, mm-hmm. particularly if it's like Asian baseball getting it in the foreign languages and then translating it. So, you know, what makes you pay for Don Best rather than using other services that are free or cost much less? So for me, it's pretty much just being able to see everything in one picture is what it is. Instead of me, you know, trying to see, you know, what moved at what time, like I can literally like at my fingertips right now, I could tell you what, you know, Circa was at an hour ago. I could tell you what this was at an hour ago. And for me, line movement is everything. I mean, that's pretty much the most important thing for me, at least with my betting. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything and try to defend, you know, the top down approach or the, the steam chasers and the line grinding and the, you know, the, you know, screen cleaners with all the names that they have for people like us. But, um, you know, that's, it's basically just being able to get a big picture of something. And I always want to know where it started, where it closed, what happened in between where a lot of people, you know, I'm not saying that that bet stamp is not a good tool. I think it's a great tool for people to track stuff. And for, if you are looking to get a bet down right now, you could see best price available at the, at your fingertips. I mean, that's a great, you know, thing to have. But I mean, just from a from what I do from an aspect, like right now I'm looking at, you know, 30 books in front of my face that are lighting up different numbers and things. So it's like, you know, you, you have to kind of look at it from a big picture. And that's the thing. Everything for me pretty much moves left to right. So like I could see stuff move, you know, at this sports book. And then I see, oh, this one changed, this one changed, this one changed. Oh, FanDuel's still there. Let me bet it there, blah, blah, blah. So it's pretty much just more of looking at it from a big picture and seeing things move in real time while everything moves, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's always the benefit of looking at the line history. I like that. And this is like not a paid advertisement, even though Betstamp is owned by Rob Pizzola. So Betstamp now has line history in there. So like it will timestamp every single like time and what the line was at that time, including if you're looking at college football, for example, they have the game of the year lines in there. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I can be like, okay, yeah. this team was three and a half before the season started now they're seven and i say okay but even though now they're seven 
they've only played shitty teams. So how do we know if they're three and a half points better than what we forecasted before? Right. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I mean, and that was the thing. All these companies end up copying each other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the benefit that's of competition. The if you had only one product out there, it won't be as good. But then you get another come in and say, all right, I'm going to do what these other people are doing and something new. Another one cop comes in, does the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I I think that when I when I first started getting to this pre-done best and just had all the sports book and I was just trying to manually figure out which lines were better. You know, it was a process. You'd have to open up every app, then you'd get logged off, then you'd look back, then you'd see stuff start changing on the other app. So it was kind of annoying. And that was another reason why I went with, you know, the, the Dom Best approach was now I can see everything without having to open 300 different windows on my phone. And then, you know, I scaled up and got more screens as a desktop and stuff like that. But um, yeah, for, for me, that is, you know, the single most important thing is I want to know where a line opened, what happened in the middle and where it's going pretty much. And I think a lot of people for, for beginners, that's like a big problem for, for a lot of people. They just see the number that's on the screen and have no history of what where that number came from, you know. Or even I the other it. books and what numbers they have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. I mean, you know, stuff like that is so important. And, you know, limits are everything too. You could see when a line opens and now the day before it's drastically you know pops up because somebody you know popped it for whatever but i think only only good things are happening with technology especially in the the odds screen aspect of everything i don't know if you've messed around yet with spanky stuff but um spank oh, odds i have is, yeah spank odds is great and um you know it's great to see that there's another you know competition for don best i'd love to get off of don best that's for sure so um you know i'm, I'm hoping once everything you know kind of keeps going the way that it's going and once uh you know they start attaching a price to that spank odds we'll, we'll make a final decision on where we're going to go but um yeah definitely a good time to be a sports better we've come so far in the last you know five ten years at least now do you think new jersey is the best place for someone to be if they're trying trying to grind out with regulated books. Absolutely. Just for the simple fact that we have so many and, you know, to be good at this, you want every number that's out there, the more, the better being in New Jersey. Obviously we have a couple copy books that are all pretty much the same, you know, like DraftKings, and go down the line to the other ones that are very similar to them. But, um, you know, for the most part, yeah, that, I think that's one of the reasons too, why I ultimately wanted to stay here forever I mean, you know, I got to the point where I wanted to move a couple times and maybe look around into other stuff. But once gambling passed and like we got to a point where we had like 20 sports books at our fingertips, I said, there's no reason to move now. And, um, you know, I, I just think if you can get access to almost any number that you're looking for, and especially once you start factoring in juice. Yeah. I mean, you have everything at your fingertips. Yeah. Up until last month. I would have said Colorado is the best place for regulated sports betting because they have Circa and they have a yeah, couple and true. they have all the books New Jersey has. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that's changed in the last month is we have profit exchange and sports trade. So not only do you have to not worry about getting limited anymore, but you have minus 102 on both sides of spreads and you have some opportunities to make money with money lines once you realize how much points are worth. So you could take like a heavy favorite money line and have somebody match the other side and not even feel guilty about bilking them out of like a bad price because they're getting plus whatever the minus is that you're getting. Yeah, I mean, you it know, did I... hurt like early on using it when I took 
uh, Wisconsin minus 700 against Washington State and they lost. But the best price available at a traditional sports book was minus 950. So I don't give a shit that I lost. It was such a great right. bet. Yeah, um, and that's like one of the things that happens when you're better is you do so much betting. You stop caring about if you win or lose. You care more about if you get the best price. 100%, Kevin. That's that's the name of the game right there, man. You, win or lose, you got the best price possible. That's all that matters. I mean, I'll just be chilling, not checking my phone. Someone's like, you're winning your bets. And I'm like, I already won them. Beat the closing line. Or no matter if I win or lose, I lost because I lost the closing line. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, that's what happens. You know, it's it's not for everybody. That's for sure. Now, do you bet any openers, particularly at books that are the only ones that have the opener up? No, because for me, it so much can change from overnights. I mean, I know that obviously there are some sports like a, a college football where the line goes up on a, you know, a certain date and now you wait all week or NFL and stuff like that. That's definitely the time to take advantage of openers because those are some of the best numbers you're going to get all week. But with that comes the limit aspect of it. You might only be able to get down a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there. And then the other thing is too, a lot of manipulation. You could get that number hammered into another way by Tuesday or Wednesday. And then by the time game time rolls around and the limits increase, things are completely different. So I don't put a ton of stock into opening uh, lines or overnight, like for baseball or even NBA totals and stuff like that. Cause so much can happen with injury news and, and whatnot. I went through actually a pretty rough stretch. I want to say like two winters ago where it was pretty much January, February-ish, I want to say, right before like March Madness and the tournaments and all that. And uh, I was betting openers pretty much, bet 365 and some other places, and just not good. Horrible February. It was just like, and I just look back at line moves and this and that, and I'm like, I took a bad number here, and I didn't wait till this opened and didn't know that this injury happened and, and that. So like, I don't know. I don't buy too, too much into that type of stuff unless you can get a, a decent or if you have an opinion on it. That's the thing. If you were a modeler, I guess, and you see a number that's really like, whoa, this looks really good. Um, I better try to attack this. I totally understand that. But, you know, somebody like me just waits for openers and just subscribes to that efficient market theory. And that's what the number should be. That's what the number should be until otherwise, you know? I mean, the difficulty always with the efficient market theory is when you get to the markets where you're not getting a one or $2,000 limit on Pinnacle until the day of. Or even if you're looking at derivatives like the halves and the quarters and the player right. props. Um, do you ever look at past line moves for teams from weeks before in football? or even for basketball for previous games and say, you know, this team, I don't have a strong opinion about them, but the line always moves in their favor. The more bets are going down. So the next time they open, even if I'm not crazy about them, if they're like close to the key number, but not crossing it yet, do you just make the bet anyways? Well, you know, that's the thing too. When you, when you follow something for a season. So if you're betting football all season and you start to pick up on those things. Yeah, absolutely. It was like, you know, years ago when, when everybody kept thinking the Browns were going to be this great sharp team. And every week it was like clockwork. It was okay. They're really bad. They're getting points. They're going to cover this week. And the sevens would fly away. Then you got to the point where they were like double digits almost every week. And it was always, they were taking sharp money, always taking sharp money. And then, you know, they never really translated there against the spread record was horrible those years. Um, but I see it a lot in baseball. I feel like just cause I bet baseball pretty much every day in the summer. Um, that's pretty much where I notice it the most. Like there's just some weeks and some months where, you know, why are they hammering, you know, this, when this guy pitches, you know, randomly, you'll, you'll see a lot of line movement on it. And sometimes not granted, you know, you just get to a point where you're kind of like, they keep backing this guy. There must be some advanced metric somewhere that somebody loves with this guy. And, 
you know, you'll, you'll kind of say, Hey, this opened up 110. I know last week the Sharps were all over this pitcher. It'll probably get to 125, 130 by game time. And sure enough, you'll see the steam move and, you know, you're, you're back at the same point. And you're like, yeah, all that coming. Yeah. I mean, I know for like college football, for example, of last year, I was always, I was doing really well in my Northern Illinois and uh, Eastern Michigan bets for the Mac, but the closing line value, I'd have negative closing line value because I'd bet the opener and it would move against me. Then I start, that's when I started like a light bulb went in my head and said, okay, maybe there's some teams that I just wait until game time to bet them. Because yeah. even though I think I'm right, people don't agree with me. Right. And I think too, sometimes you will see that on an NFL Sunday. You'll see a game that really hasn't gotten much play. And then you'll see Sunday, you know, someone comes in and hammers the dog at one weird price. And then you're like, wow, that, that game finally moved on a Sunday, you know? But uh, for the most part, I mean, the, you know, the more you follow things and the more you look at that type of stuff, you'll definitely see what team Sharps like, what teams, you know, the market is just so down on and, you know, kind of pick up on those things. Yeah. I mean, it's weird for the, the lower limit markets, like CFL, I do a lot. I'm always tweeting about it. And I'm always checking the injury reports or at least quotes from teams or, or certain beat writers. And there's one team, Hamilton, where they constantly have injury trouble or mediocre play at quarterback. So it's unclear who's playing. And they announced that uh, their best quarterback was hurt. And as soon as they announced that, I went on the other team. And... I, then I tell my buddies about it because I got my money down. And then they start putting in limit bets because I was not, I don't put down limit bets. I'm much lower than that. Um, so they put the limit bets and it moved. Then all of a sudden, there's a whole flood of bets that came in and it moved against us. Oh, yeah. And then they're going, Kevin, what happened? And I'm like, <laughs> are we getting head faked? But, you know, then it kept moving. And then um, there was like a news story that came out an hour later that contradicted this blog that said that the player is going to be playing. Then the game started with negative closing line value. And it turned out that my ins my instincts and the reports I was reading were right and that the player wasn't playing. And we made the smart move, but the rest of the market saw it differently. Yeah, it's a, that's the thing, too. Sometimes you just luck out. Sometimes, you know, you have a bad bet in your pocket and you just say, you know what, screw it. Let's just ride it out and see what happens. And sometimes you look like a genius. And it's, uh, you know, not often that it happens, but it is nice when it does happen. So um, you weren't like a pro bet or anything when you when you got like really deep into it. But there's a certain point where you got the respect of people like Spanky, Captain Jack. How did you kind of get hooked into their their network of sharps? Um, you know, was it from legalization or was it from bumping into them at, at events? Uh, you know, how did you get connected with them? So believe it or not, uh, it's a pretty clear cut story, um, actually. So I pretty much gained all my knowledge just from listening to, to podcasts pretty much and just taking tidbits and applying them. And, you know, I kind of had a good foundation built already of, you know, bankroll management and how to bet and stuff like that. But I was never really, you know, I was still kind of struggling with how to put plays together on a daily basis and stuff like that. And, you know, I listened to, like I said, the Business of Betting podcast. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that, but that was, you know, pretty much one of the longest standing betting ones that I could think of other than maybe Gills. Um, but yeah, I listened to that and I'm just, you know, on Twitter one day and it's like, we're going to have a meetup in Hoboken um, and we're going to have some guys come and talk about betting. And I'm like, you know, I'm a fan of this show and it's in my backyard. It's like a, you know, 20, 30 minute ride from where I am. And I said, yeah, maybe I will get a ticket to this event. And uh, I already followed Captain Jack on uh, Twitter and I was kind of familiar with him and I heard like a, a couple podcasts with him, but I was, I always thought Captain Jack was more of like a, I don't know, like a legal type guy is like always the vibe that I got. Cause he was always talking about, you know, 
when stuff's going to be legal and, you know, gaming commissions and stuff like that. So I wasn't really sure too much about Captain Jack. And at that time, I think he only had maybe like one or two episodes that were really out there that I, I listened to where I could find information on. And then um, I, I remember seeing all those videos when legalization happened and Spanky getting kicked out of Mammoth Racetrack. And I remember seeing those videos and reading about it somewhere. And I was just like, wow, this guy must be really good. This is crazy. This guy's getting kicked out of a sports book. Like I was like foreign to me, you know, I'm still coming up and trying to figure out all this stuff. And uh, when I found out that that was the guy who was going to be there, I was like, I've got to go to this thing. So I, you know, put down my, my 20 bucks and uh, I want to say it was probably maybe like 20 people in a room, I want to say, in like Hoboken. And Captain Jack pretty much started off the conversation with, uh, you know, legalization and bonuses and stuff like that. And then uh, he kind of handed everything over to Spanky to talk about. And Spanky had like a, a whiteboard up and he had, uh, you know, markers and stuff. And he was explaining the blindfold method and handed out a sheet that I still have in my fridge that kind of became like my Bible to look at. And uh, it just, it clicked. It was just one of those things where it was like, wow, these guys are kind of teaching what to do. And then after that, they were like, we're going to uh, head to, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing was like a, a two hour seminar or an hour and a half or something like that. And they're like, if anyone's interested, we're going to go down the street and have a couple drinks. And if you have any questions, feel free to talk to us. So immediately, you know me, I got out there and, you know, it was, let's ask questions and, you know, met Captain Jack and met Spanky. And, you know, that night went on to like one in the morning or something like that. So we kind of all hit it off there and became friends at that moment. And then, uh, you know, those guys just became mentors pretty much. Any question I had, it was don't hesitate to ask and reach out and call and whatever I got to do. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, if I didn't go to that event I probably wouldn't have gotten to the you know the level that I've gotten to so I always say that was kind of like the the moment that kind of spun everything yeah I mean that's how I felt about the first of the two bed bashes bed bash three is also going to be a great opportunity I mean bed bash one is where I met Rob now I'm on this bed bash two I met fats uh both bed bashes I meet people I talk to every day or every other day um and it is kind of crazy how like of all the places in the world be that aren't Las Vegas that Hoboken where I live is like one of the big places for sports betters because two doors down for me is the CEO of Prop Exchange. He's going to be okay. on the show uh, in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you have DraftKings has offices here. Uh, there's offices for other sports books in Jersey City. And then he meets someone who isn't from New Jersey and they're shocked that Hoboken has only 60,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, like it's this, this small city where it has a high concentration of sports bettors or big sports fans or people who go to the bars and drink and bet on games. And then the other crazy thing you mentioned about when you meet the Captain Jacks of the world, the Spankies uh, and other pro betters is they seem intimidating with their knowledge when you hear them on the podcast and then you meet them in person. And as long as you're not showing off, uh, they're very helpful for any questions you have. Uh, whereas you get some of these sports betting personalities uh, who are big media superstars who may not necessarily be sharp. Um, sometimes they big time you. Now, I'm not going to mention this person's name, but there's one particular personality that someone ran into in a nightclub in this person's home state and said, hey, such and such, what's up? And then she said, who the fuck are you? <laughs> now, like, Spanky isn't saying who the fuck are you, unless you're a dick yeah, to him. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it is kind of crazy how there's certain people who are on a pedestal because they're charismatic and they're on a big network. And then there's other people who 
have a couple thousand Twitter followers uh, like us. I mean, I'm about to hit 4,000. Fast is around 2,000. Um, so, you, you know, you have people like that who are really wise and the ones who are in the know, they know. And then you have other ones who they, they studied broadcasting, but haven't really worked much on learning more about math or trying to understand the numbers. And they got 50,000 followers. If you want to reach them, you got to go to their agent. If you're in one of these sports betting media companies, they all have agents, they have representation, they have other media deals. And, you know, from your view, what is the the worst aspect right now in the sports betting content space? I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, now there's so many betting shows that are just on regular, you know, cable television. Um, you know, there's people who have Instagram accounts and it's follow my Instagram. And I'm going to give you my free play of the day. Like, that's pretty much where we're at. And, you know, you get people who are new to this or people who just want to go and watch a game on a Sunday with their friends. And it's, oh, I saw so-and-so uh, tweeted this out on her TikTok video and I think she's hot, so I'm going to follow her. So it's like, that's what's out there. But it's like, you get to the deeper part of it. And it's like, you know, the longer that I've been in this, the more you're able to tell who's legitimate, who's not legitimate. And I do think that sadly, we are getting to that point where those people are overshadowing, you know, the people who taught me the right way. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, I have no problem against people who want a recreational bet and just say, hey, uh, I'd rather do this than scratch a lottery ticket. It's more fun to me. It's legal. I could put down however much I want and try to win thousands of dollars off a 17 parlay. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're trying to get to that next level, what you're doing right now, that's not the sports gambling world, you know? So I think everyone has this beautiful painted picture that everything is, you know, pretty much fancy cameras and people wearing nice suits and uh, you know, people with thousands of Instagram followers and TikTok and Twitter and giveaways and stuff like that. But the other thing is too, I mean, these people work for the sports book, you know? So it's like, oh, follow me for the FanDuel uh, play of the day, or, oh, I'm going to boost the odds on my, you know, Barstool account and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I think it is becoming a problem because I think the average person just thinks, hey, I can do that. I could, I could be on TV and give a pick and, you know, I can be a sports betting expert. And it's like, it has nothing to do with that i'll book any of their action for as long as they want and i'll win at the end of the day and they won't and you know we'll see who the real professionals are and who aren't and you know i think just sadly that's that's what it's becoming and again i i think that there's there's two sides of it there's some some stuff that is out there that is like you know what that's a good way to to maybe learn but you know it's like anything else, Kevin, anything that you put your mind to and you want to learn more about, you'll go to those depths to find it. And somewhere, somewhere along the line, someone's going to uncover something and find something and go, what was I doing listening to this girl on Instagram or this guy giving away his free pick of the month for free on Twitter? Like, why was I following those guys? You know, so I think there'll, there'll be an aha moment eventually. But I mean, yeah, the sports gambling's huge right now. You know what I will say about some of these new sports bettors who are big personalities is occasionally they do have some useful nuggets um, that are worth listening to. Now, they may not be asked to focus as much on the useful nuggets as they are on the presentation, the other stuff, because it is a business. But you have a few of these people, they may not be modelers, but they're going to look at the key numbers. Uh, and they're certainly going to look at other qualitative factors that are easily missed. 
Yeah, and again, I'm not I'm not saying right now that everyone is horrible or all oh, this this is bad for the business, blah blah blah. I get that there's going to be some some people out there who are good and are learning maybe this, and maybe they're saying, hey, I thought I was really good at this a year ago. It turns out I wasn't, but I'm improving and I'm learning more, and I'm going to try to share as much as I can. But you know, with that is is a hard thing itself too, trying to get people to you know get out of their ways and try to do this you know long term and win. So now we are going to move on to a new segment that we're trying out on the show. It is called What is Worse? Now, there's a game you can play with friends called What is Worse? You mentioned two really bad things and you pick which one is worse. Like, what is worse? Eating a tub of mayonnaise or drinking a gallon of spoiled milk or what is worse? um, Banging such and such or having everybody find out. Now... This is the what is worse sports betting edition, where I bring up two bad betting angles, and you're supposed to pick which one is worse. All right. So no what game. is worse? What is worse for making a betting decision? The fade the public betting strategy, or flipping a coin? I'm gonna go flipping a coin because flipping a coin that's that's anything. I mean, I'd rather be at a bar and hear eight people go, "The Chiefs aren't gonna lose this game," and then just go, "I'm taking the Jets," you know, like something like that. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with uh, definitely flipping a coin is worse. I'm gonna go with fading the public is worse because if you're flipping a coin and you're going to the sports book with the best price, your EV is much better than just blindly fading the public. <laughs> And, and yeah, not I, I mean, from a mathematical point, yes, I get what you're saying, but it's just one of those things like I, for me to just go, oh, this, this game's on, I'm going to flip a coin and whatever it lands on, that's what I'm rooting for. I can't do that. No way. I mean, uh, there's no right answers with what is worse. Now, what is worse? <laughs> Theory of reverse line movement or having the price change after making a bet while you were waiting for approval and didn't get approved oh, at the old price. That is, that is, yeah, that is absolutely the worst. And I'm not going to afraid to say it, but points bet, they, they live by that. The points bet is the worst offender for changing the price and not letting you get down at the old price. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I could speak from experience multiple times. What are the other bad offenders without <laughs> uh, me saying it? <laughs> it's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I see it a lot for futures sometimes, but points bet is definitely the worst offender of it. I'll even say DraftKings sometimes will do that as well. Uh, but yeah. What I will say in points bets credit recently is they put up certain college football prop markets before anyone else for certain markets. Do they let you bet into them though? Or is it, we're going to take 50 bucks and this guy bet this obscure thing. So we're just going to move it and assume it's sharp. I mean, some of the stuff I am putting only 50 bucks on, let's be real. Um, <laughs> I'm not telling people I'm a professional better. I just do professional level stuff and have another job. You know, most people who say they're professional better are full of shit because most betters aren't winning. Yeah. And the most winning betters who say they're professional, they have other careers in general or other sorts of income. So that's always right. been one of my pet peeves of mine is that people just want to seem like the biggest hotshot better rather than, you know, sharing knowledge and learning from others. Absolutely. The and I think, you know, being a professional better is a pretty bad career to have because you're constantly <laughs> getting limited in band and have to find outs. And you have to worry about getting stiff from PPH bookies. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it just glamorous. seems like being a content, I... being one of the people that's on TV with big media deals, like Pat, um, the guy in FanDuel, whose name I forget, uh, McAfee, okay. who signed for millions of dollars. Right. Uh, it seems like you're better off you know, being in that part of the business than trying to win at sports betting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that that's a, a good discussion right there is like, you know, I, I would tell somebody if you're going to try to get into sports betting and be a professional, just work on your broadcasting, work on your looks, collect a check every week and give your weatherman type prediction of just, okay, this might lose. It might win. And I could just call myself a professional and be done with it. I mean, there's nothing glamorous. I tell people all the time, come, come on a Saturday, you know, 
uh, morning at seven o'clock and watch me sit in front of the screen and watch things move and bet for hours at a time. It's nothing glamorous about that. Yeah, I, th I think there's value to having uh, engaging people talking about sports betting and getting people into it and building a sense of community as long as they're not like in a position where you feel that they're the smartest one in the room. Um, and certainly, you know, for getting a lot of these sharp betters TV shows, I mean, Gil Alexander is a rare example of somebody who's good at broadcasting and betting. I mean, most sports bettors need to get uh, broadcasting training if they're going to get into communications. What is worse, two-factor authentication or the spinning wheel? Oh, that's a good one, Kevin. Um, I'm going to say what's worse is probably the spinning wheel, just because you're you're antsy, you're trying to get your bet in, and then all of a sudden you get the wait screen, or we got to check with a trader, and we're going to approve 62.50 first, and then we'll see if we can get you the other 300. Um, that That is very annoying. I hate that probably more than anything. But the two-way factor two is starting to suck now. You get to the point where you want to just get going, log in, and it's, wait, we got to send you a text message, and then it's you're good for 10 days, and then it seems like you're constantly doing it anyway. But I think the two-factor authentication is the worst, because sometimes you don't even get the text. Yeah, 365. I don't think I ever get those texts at all, ever. Yeah, same. That's the one that gives me the most issue. <laughs> yep. So if anyone from 365 is listening, first of all, I love you on the show. Second of all, let's fix the two-factor authentication thing because I want to give you more of my business. Okay, what is worse? Using one sports book and uh, making your own picks or using the bet stamp best prices and flipping a coin? Oh, definitely what's worse using one sports book. Bet stamps got you covered. You know, you, you want bet stamp in your back pocket. That's for here, sure. You've heard it here. Flipping a coin and using bet stamp to make your bets is a better strategy than having only one sports book and using your own analysis. So to a certain loved one who is listening in a state with only three approved options, who's using only one book, I strongly consider you to open accounts of those other two books. Hint, hint. Not going to name who it is, but it's one of my 20 listeners. All right. <laughs> what is worse? The viewpoint that CLV doesn't matter or people pushing to buy your picks? Uh, I would say CLV does not matter. That is, that's worse. Just the people who can't concept, you know, come to realization that that's a real thing is just mind blowing to me. And it's just you know, all they care about is if the bet won or lost. That's the only thing that matters. And it's like, no, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's, did you get the best number possible? I know? agree that, that the CLV doesn't matter is a worse viewpoint than people selling picks. Because if somebody's selling picks, when people start losing, eventually it'll backfire and they'll stop buying picks. But the CLV doesn't matter viewpoint, it could take years of losing for people realize that CLV does matter. Yeah. And just to go off of that, the reason people don't believe it is because they don't bet it. They don't bet and they don't bet enough. If you have a long sample size of CLV, you're going to see that you're making money over time. And the average person clearly gives up after a day a two or, or two or even a week. And it, oh, oh, it doesn't work. It's not, not not a real thing. But yeah, when you hear people say that, that means they have exactly <laughs> or they are betting and they're not really learning from their past bets. I right. mean, I'll be blunt. I didn't really know what CLV was until I started hearing the Circles Off podcast. And then once Spanky started talking about CLV all, all the time, being blunt about it, that was really helpful. Spanky doesn't take yeah. no prisoner. Spanky, he had that one solo podcast where it's all about how CLV matters and there's very few exceptions. Yeah, I actually think to not to toot my own horn, but I was mentioned at the end of that podcast, believe it or not. I need to re-listen. <laughs> so, yeah, um, Spanky said, Brock Landers is living proof that CLV wins. I think on this one, we're going to have the same answer, but most people are going to disagree with our answer. What is worse? Right. Getting backdoored or winning a bet with negative CLV? Mm. Yeah, getting backdoored. I mean, that, 
That sucks. I think winning a bet with negative CLV is worse. Because yeah. you win a bet that you shouldn't be winning. Getting backdoored shit happens. You're going to get backdoored or you're going to get lucky. Nobody remembers when they're lucky. They only remember when they got screwed. That's that's very true, Kevin. That's very true. All right. Our last what is worse. Sports betting pre-2018 or sports betting post-2018. Ooh, that's a really good one. Uh, I would think like the 25-year-old version of me would probably say pre-legalization. But I think now it's, you know, where we are now is pretty bad with all the limiting and all the garbage that's out there. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like there's any uh, any end in sight for this stuff. It's only going to get worse and worse. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's it sounds so cliche to say, but I think it was such a Pandora's box. You know, it sounded like such a great thing, legalization and everything's going good. And this is what we need and people are doing it anyway. So what's the big deal? Everybody can live in peace. And instead it's like, nope, regulated bookmaker. So this that's why I put that in there because I knew we were going to disagree on this knowing you, but sports betting pre-2018, I think is worse because you don't have any other options other than those offshore sites and you don't know when they're going to get busted. You have your local neighborhood bookies and you can never know if they're going to have the betting thing you're looking for. And, you know, the reason I think post-sports bet, uh, 2018 sports betting is better is because even though you have to worry about getting limited more with the European books coming over, you have much more betting options to focus on. So there's more winning angles that I That's couldn't find before. I mean, I know that pre-legalization, I when I was getting into betting on sports at a Dominican barbershop in the Bronx, uh, they would <laughs> offer pitcher props and they wouldn't put like the juice on them. It would oh, just really? be minus 110 on both sides. Oh, now I can wow. only use the strikeout props in four-leg parlays. <laughs> but even with the four-leg parlays, and I didn't even know like anything about edges back then, I knew that if I was four and a half, at my, over four and a half minus 110 when... Um, on Bovada or whatever the offshore sites were, minus 145. You know, who cares if I'm putting into a riskier bet? But that edge, it was weird because they didn't really speak much English there. So when I went back <laughs> with some winning tickets and got cash and tried to make some more, they were like, I don't understand. And then they called some other guy and they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have pitcher props. I don't know if that was them being incompetent or if I was getting the gringo treatment or what. Actually, funny story. I want to say probably like 2016 2017 a friend told me about a place in union city that was like a bodega that was writing sports book tickets pretty much and you'd go in there there was nothing on the shelves there was nothing to buy <laughs> and uh you just go in there on a sunday and there would just be like you know six seven people with notebooks in their hands and you go up and give the guy your money and they print you out a ticket and then you'd have like i think like two or three days to collect pretty much and then they forget about all the action but you know it got busted a couple times but they were out there they actually crazy. got busted yeah interesting so I was, I was like the only gringo that went to mine and i had to convince <laughs> him i was, wasn't a cop i said no i'm just white i live down the block <laughs> but even so, I found some other cops go in there well i shouldn't say other cops i found that there's some cops who go in there or at least did now this place in union city that you went to did they also have the dominican lottery because uh, that's a big thing i found is that um the new york metropolitan area sports books um that cater to a dominican audience not only do they have a lot of baseball stuff, but they also have it where you can bet on the Dominican lottery numbers and get a better payout. Oh, really? I was just going to say, what is the advantage of Dominican lottery? Like, what am I missing here? But I mean, I'm not that... hitting up the Dominican lottery. I'm just saying that's how they get a lot of their volume in. Uh -huh. um, did the tickets they ever print you out in Union City, were they in Spanish or they were uh, English tickets? Oh, yeah. You know, they were, they were all Spanish and uh, very hard to understand. And I think I... 
got to a point where I knew what win meant. Win was like Gennar or something, something with a G. And I was like, okay, everything. I think that was the one that was profit. Yeah, or maybe maybe it meant something else. I don't know. Because they would always look like the race track tickets. Like if you go to Belmont or whatever and get a a horse racing bet ticket, it looked like that in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. No, we we would go there on a Sunday. We would drive out there at like ten in the morning and just bet whatever we wanted to bet. But it's such a sketchy place. You had to park in like a Dunkin' Donuts and walk over. And then uh, you go in there and there'd be characters in there. And I'd be like, I just hope I leave with whatever I came with. And like, nobody bothers me or anything. And then going to collect was always kind of weird too. Like you'd go in there and you give the guy your ticket and he'd go to the cash register and take out a wad of money in a rubber band and pay you and stuff like that. It was really sketchy, but I'm glad those days are over. I mean, true, but those edges. Now, did these, when you used to do the um, offshore or neighborhood bookies, did they ever have any... Uh, parlay cards that had stale lines you know what for the most part anybody that i was ever involved with always had either their own login and their own site which were pretty much now that i know kind of how it works with don best and whatnot i could see now the odds on all these places so um yeah there was never anything that was stale like looking back at it i did though probably the first bookie i ever had uh right after college a friend of a friend referred me and this guy used to actually Every morning at like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., he would just screenshot you whatever the odds were. And you could go from that for like the entire day. And it's like, oh, my God, knowing what I know now. Oh, my God, I could have had a field day with that guy. But um, yeah, just it would be crazy. Everything would be text message and it'd be like, uh, can I still get plus seven on this? And yeah, that's the line. The line is the line. And it was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's what I think now. Like when I think of all the angles I could have pumped out more that don't exist. Yeah, time and technology yeah that's the end of what is worse do you have any last words before we end the show um no i i just think that um you know i i hope that there are you know young people out there that are aspiring to get better and you know want to do things the right way and i'm not trying to you know tout myself here or anything like that but you know it is possible you know everybody i think a lot of people will get discouraged and I don't know, maybe I'm just not wired like that, but I would never, everybody would, don't get into this. Don't do this. It's not good. And you know, it's, you're wasting your time. And it was like, no, I want to do this and I want to get better at it. And I, I want to learn the right way. And I want to, you know, further myself and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to where I'm at. And I know I'm not at a level that, you know, some people are at, and I don't know if I ever want to get to that point. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm happy from where I came from. And I'm also one of those guys that are like, you know, I, I paid my dues and I was really one of those, like, as ridiculous as it sounds, like I say it all the time, I'm like a student of the game. I lost, you know, and it took a couple things to kind of change my outlook on stuff. And the other thing I tell people all the time is too, it's such a, it's such a process. Like there's so many weird skill sets that you need. And like, I think just some people just aren't cut out for it. Um, you know, a lot of people, obviously as stupid as it sounds, they hate losing. So they get to the point where it's, how do I get out of this bet? And oh my God, I'm going to lose. This is the worst thing ever. And it's like, that's the only way you're going to learn is if you lose, um, as weird as that sounds. And, you know, everybody has to start from somewhere. And, you know, the more time you put into anything, the, the better you'll get at it. Yeah, that's why I, I can always say about people who hate the lose, don't bet baseball because <laughs> you'll be losing most days. Yeah. But it is one of the best betting sports because of the, the low house edge. I, I love betting on baseball. I mean, it's not just because I love the game itself and that I'm a big fan of it, but it's just one of those things where I just love that it's every day. There's something to bet on. There's not much else to focus on. And, uh, you know, those numbers are those numbers pretty much. Oh, yeah, that. That reminds me of one question I forgot to ask. So I guess this will be the last one. 
which is okay. what is your favorite baseball team and why? <laughs> uh, pretty simple. Uh, the Miami Marlins are my favorite team. A lot of people always ask me too, what is the origin behind that? So I've grown up in New Jersey my entire life. I've been surrounded by Yankee and Met fans my whole life. And I think it kind of fits in with my gambling career. But you know, I just never wanted to be like everybody else. It was always kind of weird to me that everyone was either Yankee or Met. And I just never wanted to follow the crowd. And, you know, as a kid playing video games and stuff, seeing that there was, you know, plenty of other teams to like plenty of other players, why do I have to like the Yankees? And you know, I say it all the time too. my parents are not sports people at all. So I had no, you're going to grow up in this house as a Yankee fan, a giant fan, a, you know, devil's fan, all that type of stuff that was never there. Everything that I kind of learned was kind of on my own. But the, the reason that I say that too, is, you know, when I was younger, I don't know if it was just harder to get tickets or what the deal was, but I did not go to many Yankee games when I was a young kid growing up. It was always, they're hard to get tickets and, you know, it's hard to get out there and this and that. So I didn't go to many Yankee Met games when I was a kid. It was like a big deal if I went to one every year, you know, until I got probably to like high school, I didn't start going. And, you know, with the advent of buying tickets online, but how this comes back to the Marlins, you're probably wondering, um, my grandparents, believe it or not, um, used to live about 30 minutes from what is now Hard Rock Stadium, where the Marlins used to play when it was pro player. And as a kid, you know, every spring break, Easter recess year, it was, we're going to Florida to see the grandparents. And down there, you could walk right up to the window and go see a Marlins game. No problem. No questions asked. Uh, there's no it sellout. It sounds like Expos there's, games back in the day. Yo, I, I've, I've heard stories about Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Um, so it was like, this is so cool. Because at home, I can't just go to Yankee Stadium and get tickets. Or at least when I was a kid, it was always a process of, oh, my father's got to try to go get tickets at the you know, Ticketmaster and all this other crazy stuff to go through. And instead it was like, you want to go to a Marlins game when we're down there? And it was like, yeah. So, you know, you just kind of have good memories of, of being down there. And, you know, they they had their success somehow as crazy as that seems those couple of years when I was younger. Um, and it just kind of stuck. So, it was, you know, one of those things where, yeah, I'm a Marlins fan. Unfortunately, my, my grandparents don't live in the same, uh, you know, area anymore. So it's a little harder getting down there compared to where we you know have a place now but uh yeah Miami Marlins baseball that's what's always crazy to me about the Marlins is that they had some good teams and they're in a, a heavy area for population and baseball popularity yet whatever for whatever reason they can't get the crowds there and I blame yeah. it mostly on ownership absolutely I, I think yeah you you look back now at pretty much all the years and it's like it's easy to just that's the the ongoing theme it's just the ownership it's ownership it's what they did it's decisions and it's a shame because they, you know, they, they've made such a big deal. If we get our own stadium, you know, down in that area, we're going to pack the place and everything is going to be great. And, you know, that, that, unfortunately that was a failed, you know, dream. And now I look back at it and it's like, it sucks that they had to move all the way down there and nothing's changed, you know? And I certainly don't blame it on football being really popular in Florida because the Miami Heat do well financially. And even the Magic yeah. of Time did. Yeah, I, I do think though Florida sports, I mean, they're very college-based. They, they like a lot of their college teams. And the other thing is it's almost like unless they're winning – it's like not it's like a second thing to do it's like oh the marlins aren't good why would i go to a marlins game oh the heat are playing bad we're not going to the game you know this and that so i do think they are kind of a front-running town as weird as that sounds but yeah and isn't the stadium not even in the city itself the marlins stadium yeah yeah so it's pretty much down in like the outskirts of like little havana so you've kind of got to travel and then it's like they just built pretty much this big monstrosity in the middle of like a 
Spanish neighborhood. So it's kind of got like a weird feel to it. Um, almost similar to like, I'm not going to try to compare it to Wrigley or Fenway, but almost with that same type of thing, like you're just going down back streets and then all of a sudden there's a huge stadium just in the middle of like a neighborhood and you could park your car in someone's lawn if you want and then, you know, pay them 10 bucks and you can walk to the game. But that's um, Yankee Stadium as well. Yeah, right. It's, you know, 161st and River. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, five blocks away after a game, like you'll know it from the traffic, but yeah. like the neighborhood has like nothing that seems like a baseball neighborhood. Right, right. And that's the thing. You compare it to places like, you know, where the Phillies play and it's just this big open lot where they built three stadiums and it's like people come here for sports. Okay, cool. But uh, yeah, the, the old neighborhood type feel is like, I feel like going away in a weird way. All right. So that's Brock Landers for today. Thank you for coming in next week. Plus EV analytics is coming on. Ooh, good episode. Yeah. I'm excited about that one, especially if I can understand everything he's talking about because <laughs> plus EV analytics is a actuary who uses his skills to win at sports betting. And even though I use a lot of math and sports betting, uh, I don't have a math background professionally, but plus EV analytics does. So we are going to, Kit back, relax, and have plus EV analytic kicking facts. Okay. Thank you, Brock. <laughs>